Uh, Anthony did a fantastic job teaching last week, and uh, I listened to it. I listened to the recording. Yeah, give him a round of applause. And he taught about, um, he did a good job kind of tying uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the various trials and things in their lives to the different um, exiles that Israel had to go through. Remember that? And then he talked about uh, refinement towards the end. He talked about how he does blacksmithing and how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see them going through a series of refining um, trials, don't we? And then he kind of correlated that to us in our lives that if you want to be refined and used as a more perfect instrument for God's will, you will undergo trials and refinement. And I thought he did a, a fantastic job of doing that. Does, does anyone remember what his wedding ring is made out of? What was it? Somebody, I heard, yeah, tungsten, good. A little quiz, see if you guys are paying attention. Very good, a lot of you were. Just got it. Either that or you're his stalker, I don't know. <laughs> so, Genesis 27, if you have a Bible, turn there and read along with me. And the way this works, guys, is if you have a question about the text or about what we're reading, uh, just shoot your hand up, interrupt me, and throw your hand up, and when I kind of stop to catch a breath, I'll say we have a question, and just feel free to ask the question. Um, the Genesis 27, and we're talking about this man named Yitzchak, which means laughter in English, Isaac. And it says, in the course of time, after Yitzchak had grown Zakin. Remember, that's the word for beard in Hebrew as well, or it's presumably old. And his eyes were dim, or the Hebrew is kaha, it's like to be weakened. Um, flip, flip over with me real quick. Let's compare this to Deuteronomy 34.7. Flip over to Deuteronomy 34.7. We're getting towards the end of the Torah here. And who are we talking about? Deuteronomy 34.7. We're going to see this phrase is a very idiomatic phrase in talking, to, talking about your eyes. Talking about your eyes. Because the eyes are the lamp of the body, right? And when your eyes dim and weaken, it means that your, your strength, your, it, it kind of is, is um, it talks about your spiritual health as well. It's, it's a measure of your, your spiritual connectivity, you could say, with God. Um, but here it says in Deuteronomy 34, 7, Moshe was 120 years old when he died with eyes that were undimmed and vigor undiminished. So it's interesting. We see Moses at the end of his life. It's utilizing this idiomatic phrase. Um, Jackie and Stacey and I were talking about idioms before the service started. And how many of you have ever heard of or know the, the reference to the $64,000 question? Raise your hand if you do. See, a few of you. A few of you. Wow. It's probably people, you know, you just dated yourself, right? I only know about the $64,000 question because of people older than me talking about the sixty. But apparently it was a game show that uh, was big and it had like came on at night and it was there was a $64,000 question and that's the extent of what I know but Jackie and maybe her generation knows way more about that game show and about that well that's the 60 we were looking for tables and we're thinking oh maybe you know we found out Todd and, and then we're bringing them but it's like well that's the $64,000 question where are the tables and Stacy's like what you know no Anthony Anthony was there and he was like what what does that even mean you know but he doesn't get that idiom and sometimes we miss idioms in the Bible, like your eyes being dim, it speaks of not only physical health and vigor, but also spiritual health. And we might see how that plays out here. So it says that his eyes were dim back at Genesis 27. His eyes were dim. 
And he says, so that he could not see. He called Esav, which do you guys remember what Esav means? It comes from the Hebrew Asa, which means to be or it is. Remember, his name means he's done. He's like fully formed. His older son. And he said to Esav, my son. And what is uh, what does he respond? He answers, he may Remember, we said that's a very loaded phrase, isn't it? So it speaks to Esau's level of expectation about what's about to happen. He knows this phrase. Verse two, it says, look, I am old now. I don't know when I will die. And we talked at my home last night. We had several people over and we had a Bible study and we read through Genesis 27. So if you were there last night, I'm sorry, you're going to hear a lot of the same thing twice. But we talked about how many years it's going to be until Isaac dies from this point. It's going to be four decades until Isaac dies. 40 years until he dies. But to his credit, he's 140 years old, the best we can figure, when he's speaking these words here right now. So yeah, he, he could die at any moment, 140 years is old. But it's going to be another 40 years. And don't we see another, like his father being a little bit melodramatic as well about his age and his, uh, when he's going to die? Do you guys remember that? Well, he says, I don't know when I will die. Well, Isaac, it's going to be 40 more years. So therefore, please take your hunting gear, your quiver of arrows and your bow, and go into the country and get me some game. Make it tasty the way I like it and bring it up to me to eat. Now, food is powerful, is it not? It's extreme. Our taste buds, we have tens of thousands of taste buds on this little muscle right here in our mouths. And it gets us in a lot of trouble sometimes. And sometimes our waistline is proof of that, right? (laughs) Sometimes our tight t-shirts are proof of that. (laughs) Ooh, but stepping on toes, yeah. But remember when Olive Garden, we were talking about this last night, when they did the pasta pass? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You could spend like a couple hundred dollars and you could get unlimited pasta for a year. And they would sell only like 200 of these passes online and they would sell out in like nanoseconds. They would announce when they're going to do it. It'd be like midnight or whatever day. And then in nanoseconds, they would sell out. Americans love our taste buds. We love to serve and worship our taste buds, don't we? It's a, hum- it's a humanity problem, actually, that we serve our taste buds and we worship our taste buds. It's like one of the most primal drives that we have, that and another one, is eating, right? And it's like, it's the thing, is like, we don't want to drift into asceticism and deprive our taste buds. God says we should eat of the land, the produce of the land, but give him thanks, right? And he also says we should engage in sex as well, which is another primal thing that we, we sometimes get out of control and it's blown out of proportion. But like eating is a very primal thing. And we shouldn't drift into asceticism, which says that you should deprive yourself of those things and eat only like bread and water or something. But rather you should elevate those things to a form of worship and say, God, how do you want me to feed, my, feed myself? How do you want me to procreate? Right. So it's not doing away with those things. It's not ignoring them or erasing them. It's elevating them to a place of worship and holiness, understanding that God is sovereign. And it's bringing that primal drive under subjection to his his will. Does that make sense? And that's, in essence, our faith. But here we see Isaac 
is very driven by his taste buds, isn't he? What was the first sin in the Bible? It was eating the fruit that we shouldn't have eaten, right? See, that, that, that drive is there. It's like, oh, it looks so good, though. And we see this theme all throughout Scripture where there is some kind of fruit, you know, an allegorical fruit, and then someone cannot resist it, and they take it by force, and they eat it. And then it causes exile. So it seems like Isaac was really controlled by his taste buds here. He says, bring it to me to eat, and then I will bless you before I die. Now, right away, if you look at Genesis 48 and 49, don't turn there right now, but if you, if you do look at that, you see one thing is, is significantly different here when, when um, Jacob is blessing all of his 12 sons. They're all there. They're all present. That's the protocol is when you're going to give a blessing to your children and your sons, they're all present. And we see Isaac is breaking that protocol. He's blessing Esau by himself, isn't he? He's doing it wrong. In verse 5, Rivka was listening when Yitzchak spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went out to the country to hunt for game and bring it back, she said to her son, Jacob, or Yaakov, whose name means the grabber of the heel, but it also can mean to go around and like um, usurp someone of something. She said to her son, Yaakov, she said, listen, I heard your father telling Esav, your brother, bring me game and make it tasty so I can eat it. Then I will give my blessing in the presence of Adonai before my death. She said, now pay attention to me, my son. And do what I tell you. Now, it's interesting because Rebecca has faith here. She's exerting her faith. What is she exerting her faith in? Well, if you just go back one chap- two, two and a half chapters to Genesis 25, verse 23, the angel is speaking to Rivka and saying, from birth, the two babies that are in your womb, they will be two rival peoples. One of these people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Rivka heard that and remembered that. And now she's realizing, wait a second, is Isaac getting things out of order here? Is he being disobedient? Is, is, he, is he putting Esau on a higher pedestal than, than the son that's supposed to be kind of uh, uh, more dominant than the, than the older one? And so she's forcing God's hand here. She's forcing her will into the story instead of kind of like letting back, like stepping back and letting God work out those details. She's saying, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Just like who? Miss Helen, you said it last night. Sarah. Sarah did with Avraham. Remember, Sarah was promised a son through her. It's like you will give birth to a son. And she got impatient. She, she, well, maybe God's taking too long. Maybe he needs my help. And whenever we say things like that, whenever God, man, bad things are about to happen. She took matters into her own hands, didn't she? She brought Hagar into the picture and then a whole host of problems came into the scene, didn't it? Whole mess started to unravel. Oh, man. When we say, okay, God, I know, I believe you, I trust you, but maybe you need a little bit of help in this area. Watch out. <laughs> bad things are about to happen. So let's keep going. She says to Yaakov, to Jacob, go to the flock and bring me back 
two goats, which where else do we see two goats? Yom Kippur. And I will make it tasty for your father the way he likes it. And you will bring it to your father to eat so that he will give his blessing to you before his death. Now, verse 11. So Yaakov answered Rivka, his mother, look, Esav is hairy, but I have smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me. He'll know I'm trying to trick him and I'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said, let your curse be on me. Now, this is the last time that we will see Rivka and her son together in this entire story of the Bible. In a sense, her son is about to die to her. She's about to lose her son because of this. And the curse falls back on her. Just listen to me and go get the the goats, the kids. So he went and he got them and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared them in the tasty way his father loved. Next, Rivka took Esav, her older son's best clothes. Just picture this coat, this big coat, which she had with her in the house and put them on Yaakov, her younger son. This is a little bit of foreshadowing going on here. And she put the skins of the goats on his hands and the smooth parts of his neck. And then she gave the tasty food and the bread she had prepared to her son Yaakov. And he went into his father and said, my father. And he replies, here I am, he nani. Let's pause here for a second and ask this question. Is Rivka doing something that's immoral? Let's back up and remind ourselves. She knows and understands the promise that God gave to her that the younger will serve the older. She's taking matters into her own hands. She's about to realize It might so happen that Isaac is going to give the blessing to the wrong guy. I have to hurry up and sneak it in there and get my son, the rightful one who should receive the blessing. I need to get him in there and hurry up. We can see Rivka as almost doing something righteous, can't we? What do you guys think? Is it righteous? Is it it unrighteous? Is it moral? Is it immoral? But Sarah didn't believe. Yeah. Took matters in her hands. Yeah. Yeah. And she takes matters into her own hands. Yeah. And it, it begs a bigger question. Is it ever okay to lie? No. Is it ever okay? I see heads nodding. I see heads shaking. Is it ever okay to lie? What about uh, Corey Tinboom? Did she ever lie? What about Sifra and Pua, the, the, the midwives in Egypt? Did they ever lie? And they were given a great name in all of Israel, weren't they? Do you guys remember um, Harriet Beecher Stowe? Do you know that her brother, Henry, right? Henry was a staunch abolitionist. He was part of the Congregationalist movement in the Midwest. And he was working very hard in the 1840s and 50s to abolish slavery in the United States of America. He dedicated his life to that. Um, They were actually in Kansas... They were trying to move abolitionists into Kansas because Kansas was becoming a new state. And they realized if Kansas became a new state, it suddenly has representatives in, in Congress and the Senate. 
and those rep- representatives can vote either, either for or against slavery. So there was this big movement to try to send abolitionists into Kansas to settle it so that abolitionists could have votes in, in the Congress and the Senate. But the pro-slavery movement was doing the same thing. Well, did you know that they were actually getting into skirmishes and like gunfights in Kansas over this issue because it was such a hotbed issue was the issue of slavery in the 1840s and 50s in Kansas. Well, Henry Beecher decided to start collecting um, Sharps rifles, repeating rifles. He was, a, he was a pastor, a congregationalist, and an abolitionist in New England who was accumulating all these rifles and then sending them to abolitionists in Kansas. And how did they sneak them into Kansas? They had these big crates, and on them were called, on them was printed, Bibles. And these Sharps rifles became called Beecher's Bibles. Did he lie? Was it for a righteous cause? Yeah. Is, lying is, uh, it's a gray area. It's tough. And we go back to the story of Rebecca here, and she's being deceitful. She's encouraging her son to be deceitful. But is that the right thing to do? Some would actually speculate that coming up later in Genesis 28, we're going to see where Isaac actually gives the blessing he maybe actually intended to give to Yaakov. He finally gives it to him. Maybe the story would have been different. Maybe Rivka at some point should have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry to interrupt you guys. Pump the brakes here. Do you remember what the angel said about how, you know, all this stuff? Let's remind, let's let's go over this again, right? Maybe it would have gone a little bit better had she done that. And then then maybe Isaac would have been like, oh yeah, I'm not giving him that blessing. I'm going to give Esau a different blessing. Or maybe Esau saw that there was power in these two twins. Like one had physical strength and prowess and the other one had had a connectivity to God and scripture and the stories of the patriarchs. And maybe they could, they could rule the land together. And maybe he was trying to do that. But the story would have been different if Rivka just would have stopped and said, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Instead, she's resorting back to that pattern of manipulation and coercion and deceitfulness. Which she kind right? of got from her family. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So let's keep reading. 18. He went to his father and said, my father. And he replied, here I am. Who are you, my son? Count the number of lies here. Yaakov said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. There's one. I've done what you've asked me to do. There's two. He didn't do that. Get up now, sit down, eat the game, and then give me your blessing. And Yitzchak said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And he answered, "Uh uh-oh, the Lord your God made it happen that way. That's lie number three. Man, when you bring God into a lie, you better, better, better be careful. 21, Yitzchak, Isaac said to Jacob, come here close to me so I can touch you, my son, and know whether you are in fact my son Esau or not. See, he has a suspicion that something's going on, doesn't he? Verse 22, Yaakov approached Isaac, his father, and touched him and said, the voice is Yaakov's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. However, he didn't detect him because his hands were hairy like his brother's. So he gave him his blessing. He asked, are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. That's lie number four. And he said, bring it here to me and I will eat my son's game so that I can give you my blessing. So he brought it up to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. See, there's the fruit. 
right? Noah drank the wine too, didn't he? Then his father Yitzchak said to him, come close now and kiss me, my son. So he approached and he kissed him and Yitzchak smelled his clothes and blessed Yaakov and said these words, see, my son smells like a sade, a field, which Adonai has blessed. Remember it says, he says earlier that um, uh, in chapter 24, 25, that, that Esav was a man of the field. So may God give you the dew from heaven, the richness of the earth and the grain and the wine in abundance. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. May you be Lord over your kinsmen and let your mother's descendants bow down to you. Cursed be anyone who curses you and blessed be anyone who blesses you. Verse 30. But as soon as Yitzchak had finished giving his blessing to Yaakov, when Yaakov, Jacob, had barely left his father's presence, Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He too had prepared a tasty meal and brought it to his father. And now he said to his father, let my father get up and eat from his father's game so that you may give me your blessing. Yitzchak, his father, said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esav. So Yitzchak began trembling uncontrollably. Why do you think that's so? Maybe he realized his error. And he realized, maybe I am fighting against God's will here. Maybe I'm in defiance of what God had already planned, and I'm realizing that. And I just got caught. I just felt convicted by that, and I trembled. He said, then who was it that took the game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I gave my blessing to him. That's the truth, and the blessing must stand. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst into a loud, bitter sobbing. Father, bless me too, he begged. Now, since when did Esau care about his father's blessing? It's kind of odd, isn't it? If you go back, you remember he says that he, he um, go to uh, chapter 25 and verse 34. Then Yaakov gave him bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and Esav got up and went on his way. Thus, this is how Esav showed how little he valued, or some translations have how much he detested his birthright. So I see a question. Uh, 36 looks like there's a distinction between the blessing and the birthright. Yeah, there is two different things. Absolutely, it's a two-part system. Yeah. So he, he has a... A uh, disregard for the first, but suddenly he comes along, Johnny come lately, he wants the second one, right? And this word here that shows like your, your disdain for the birthright, it's the same word used in the book of Esther chapter three. That talk is called, it's in Hebrew, baza. It's the same word used when Haman has this disdain for Mordecai and the Jews, it's the seething, like, dislike for something, disregard for something. So let's go back. Suddenly he wants the, the blessing, doesn't he? He says, bless me too, he begged. Verse 35, he replied, your brother came deceitfully and took away your blessing. And Esau said, his name Yaakov really suits him because he Vayakevni, see the play on words there. He's, he, he like deceived me these two times. Now, is that true? No, it's not. The first time, the first time 
Jacob takes it fair and square. He buys it outright with lentil stew, doesn't he? So Esau is saying, oh man, he just took me, he just fooled me these two times. See, in front of his father, he's acting one way. He's like, man, he's deceived me way back then too. And he deceived me again. And he's like just blaming Jacob for all his problems when suddenly he actually, you know, he, he had disregard for it back then. And that, that's a common theme with families that have a lot of dysfunction is that they like to blame other people for their choices and say that I am not responsible for my choices. I'm just doing what they did to me. I'm just manipulating them because they manipulated me. I'm just coercing them or because they coerce me. Sometimes you see couples and they'll say, uh, I went out and I bought this thing or whatever. And I didn't tell you about it. And then the wife is like, well, does that mean I can buy this then? Right? Or vice versa. It's just like constant manipulation and coercion. Right? And you'll do these things like, well, if I get to go on this boat trip with these guys, then, you know, maybe, or you get to go on this boat trip with those guys, maybe I can go do this with girls then. Right? And it's like this like very like cutthroat environment. And there's entire families that are like that, where it's like manipulation and coercion and deceitfulness. And it just goes generation after generation. And then you never take blame for your actions and your own decisions and choices. It's always, well, they did it first, right? And then that blame leads to a hatred, a seething hatred that people have for one another. And that hatred becomes your identity. And suddenly you're just consumed with, with unforgiveness and hatred. And then that's, that's all you know of yourself is I hate that person because they did that to me. And therefore, I'm going to do that to other people. And it's just a cycle, this pattern. But I saw another question back there, Karen. Yeah, yeah. I have not, no. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's absolutely like a human problem. You know, in like this this competitive I remember I had a friend in a friend in college that he was my age and he just recently gotten married and, and right away like after college we 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 became uh, competitive with one another um, to the point where it sort of turned into like his wife and, and Stacey and I almost had this like kind of this growing distance between us even though he was a great friend and we had lots of great memories but it was like who can buy a house first or who can you know have nicer clothes or or bench press or whatever the case was you know and it's like became this competitive thing between he and I and our wives or whatever and, and eventually got to the point where I was like Hey, come on over to come to the house and eat dinner with us. And I remember sitting down. I said, can we like, do you feel this competitiveness, like this kind of cold war, passive aggressive thing? Can we just stop that? It's exhausting, you know, and I was just like, I, I repented of that and I confessed that. 
And it did improve things drastically, although it wasn't what it was back when we were first friends. But I saw another hand somewhere back. Did I see another hand? Yeah, Patrick. <laughs> but anyways, that's, that kind of goes into yeah. like getting a little something extra or getting that bargain or getting some type of like accolade. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and as believers and followers of Yeshua, we should be what people see. There should be no manipulative bone in our body. When people see us, when they interact with us, they get just a, a, a sincerity. There's no, I mean, we, we should be giving our lives to other people. And there's no manipulative like plan in our minds or scheme. And when we interact with our husbands or our wives, it should be, let me serve you. Let me minister to you. And it's not this like, well, you went there and I should be able to do this. Or you spent that, I should be able to. It's just like, oh, I think that's a great idea. Go, do that. If that brings you joy, if that gives you rest or whatever, or, or let, let's look at the budget and let's talk about it. Yeah, if you want to buy that, let's see if it fits within the budget. Maybe you worked hard or you got a bonus at work. Yeah, maybe. You know, but I saw another hand go up. Yeah, Jason. I just wanted to comment earlier, just a dad moment. <laughs> yeah. My kids hear this. So I think the overall arch of scripture we're talking about deception is that, you know, it's not a good practice. Mm-hmm. As far as, because you don't want to be a person who, is good at fabricating stories and fabricating lies, they begin to, they begin to work their own sense of perception. Yeah. Well, and the people around them. And then the consequence of having to cover over and over and over deceptions and fabrications. Yeah. And that just breaks trust. Should avoid it at all costs. Yeah. But as to the circumstances that you referenced in history, special circumstances that required discernment and judgment. Yeah. Clearly yeah. the right thing to do was to divert, you know, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avoid deception and mistruth at all costs. Absolutely, and at all costs. I see a lot of good hands today. Wow. We're gonna go to Don and Maggie and then Ariana. Don. Well, and with what he was saying there, because Rebecca had had deceived and was part of all of that, mm-hmm. that consequence of Jacob having to go and have to do all yeah. be gone for so long may not have happened if she would have done the first right. thing. Yeah, she could have lived to a ripe old age with her sons being there and enjoying her presence and vice versa. It could have been completely different how they just sat down and maybe talked about it, right? right. So, Maggie, I saw your hand. The, the other thing at play here is Esau didn't value the birthright. And the birthright carried responsibility with Eve. He wanted yeah. the blessing. Yep, yeah. But didn't want the responsibility. You're absolutely right. Jacob got the birthright Yeah, very good point. Thank you. For those who couldn't hear, she was saying um, that Esau did not want the birthright, which with that comes responsibility to care for the father's estate, for care for the parents in their old age. But he did want the blessing. Uh, That's a really good point. Um, And I saw Ariana and then we'll go to Destiny and we're going to. Oh, Christian. Okay. Maybe he realized all of a sudden, oh, I've done this boy wrong. 
Mm. You know, he wants the blessing without the birthright. Yeah. 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 So she's saying that maybe he was trembling because he came under the realization that he 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 gave Esau, in a sense, the blessing, but he didn't get the birthright. But Christian, and we're gonna we're gonna, last question, and then we'll move on for a little. But hold your questions for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you guys are all kind of saying the same thing. Like he wanted the, he wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the responsibility. And so the responsibility part, I'm kind of repeating what Christian just said. He, the price tag that he put on that, the price that he was willing to sell that for was a bowl of lentil stew. And we talked about last, a couple of weeks back, how lentil was a very common grain, a very, it'd be like selling it for white rice, a bowl of white rice or something, you know? But yeah, really good points. So now let's move on a little bit, but if you have a question, hold on to it. We'll, we'll get those here in a second if we have time. Uh, what verse did we leave off on? Thank you. Yitzchak answered, Esav, look, I have made him your Lord. I have given him all his kinsmen as servants, and I have given him grain and wine to sustain him. What else is there that I can do for you, my son? And Esav said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Father, bless me too. So Esav wept aloud, and Yitzchak, his father, answered him, here, your home will be of the richness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. You will live by your sword which means you're going to be engaged in a lot of violence towards you, from you, etc. And you will serve your brother. But when you break loose, you will shake his yoke off your neck. So Esav hated his brother. There it is. It's now becoming what fuels him, his identity, because of the blessing his father had given him. So Esav said to himself, the time for mourning my father will soon come. And then I will kill my brother Yaakov. So he doesn't even care about the death of his father. It's just like, when that's over, as soon as I'm so focused on killing my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rivka. She sent for Yaakov, her younger son, and said to him, Here, your brother Esau is is comforting himself over you by planning to kill you. Therefore, my son, listen to me. Get up and escape to Lavan, my brother in Haran. Uh-oh. Now, it's interesting because he's fleeing one family that is full of manipulation and deception and dysfunction. And she's saying, go to Laban. <laughs> Things might be better there. No, they're not. Because um, she is, uh, what do they say? She didn't fall far from the tree, right? She says, stay with him for a little while until your brother's anger subsides. 
He's going to go from one place of coercion and manipulation and dysfunction right into another and become essentially enslaved to a man, his uncle. Verse 45, your brother's anger will turn away from you and he will forget what you did to him. But does he ever? No. Never does. You see, like I said, Esau is fueled and, and, and takes this on as his identity, his hatred for Jacob. There are people that will go their entire lives with that as their identity. I can't stand this person and what they did to me 45 years ago. And whenever I come across someone, all that just spews out onto them. Oh, really? Why don't you go to them and work things out or express to them your anger towards them? Well, they've been dead for 15 years. Oh, okay. Well, why are you still unforgiving of that person? Well, because they didn't, they never came to me and apologized before they died. Okay, well, maybe you just need to get over it. Maybe you just need to repent of your idolatry of that situation. Maybe you need to get over your own self-pity and overcome that and make some new decisions going forward for your family that is alive. Because they want a happy, they want a joyful, they want a gentle grandfather or grandmother one that isn't spewing all this hatred or, or goes around in this like grumpy demeanor, right? I talked to a story last night, people at our house. I, I live next to these two old guys down in Lakeland, Florida. And um, Stacey and I just moved into the neighborhood and we didn't know anything that was going on. It was like an old house, like a 35-year-old house. And there was guys that built houses on either side of us and either side of that. And they'd been there for like 35, 40 years there in that neighborhood. And we knew nothing of the drama that had happened like 25 years ago between their kids and all this other stuff. And we're moving in as a young married couple. And suddenly we start talking to one of the neighbors and he's like, stay away from that guy over there and blah, blah, blah. And he starts spewing all this stuff. And we're like, whoa, okay. Like, like it had happened just yesterday. Like he had just taken a sledgehammer and just bashed his car in or something. Like, but it was like he accidentally took his lawnmower in or he accidentally used Roundup and squirted. It's like, really? That was like 25 years ago. Man, they hate. And then you talk to the other neighbor and he's like, oh yeah, don't talk to that guy. He's a drunkard or whatever. You know, he's all the it's like, wow, they wouldn't even make for 25, 30 years, they wouldn't make eye contact or talk to each other. And they both, while we were living there, took that hatred to their graves. Don't do that. Don't be identified by hatred. Be identified as a new creation in Messiah. Does that make sense? Allow yourself to be renewed by his spirit. Lay that at his cross. So I see another hand. Uh, God does intervene because when Jacob and Esau came again, God had blessed Esau with so much wealth that he did let go of his hatred. Mm-hmm. And Jacob says, gee, I've seen the face of God. Yeah. About his brother. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, they didn't, they didn't let God work it out. Yeah. It didn't have to go for 20 years, but... Because they didn't do it God's way. Yeah. Go the long way around. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So let's keep going here. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Now, did Rivka ever send and bring Jacob back from there? Nope. This is the last time Rivka will see her son, Jacob. And she says, ironically here, why should I lose both of you on the same day? That's exactly what happened. You see, one father's disobedience and lack of trust in the situation caused just yet another generation full of dysfunction 
and manipulation, didn't it? Sin, guys, listen. Sin always has babies. Sin always has babies. Sin will beget sin, but righteousness will beget righteousness. And doesn't it say in Deuteronomy that he will visit the, the sins of the fathers onto the next generations? Doesn't it? Let's go to um, verse 46 here. Rivka said to Yitzchak, I'm sick to death of these Hittite women. Now, Esau married Hittite women. We see that in the previous couple chapters. If Yaakov marries one of the Hittite women, like those who live here, my life won't be worth living. So here we are at the end of Genesis chapter 27. It's a beautiful, uplifting story, isn't it? Like little butterflies flying around, right? No, this is a mess, isn't it? It is a quagmire of generational dysfunction and manipulation and coercion, but somehow made it into the page of the scripture. And somehow, just a few, few minutes ago, we read, the, we, we read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We all affirmed in this room that we're praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these three seemingly dysfunctional characters that were full of all kinds of bad decisions. Yet that's our God. Look at, look at Jacob's life, for instance. When we get to the end of his life, in like Genesis chapter 48, 49, we go back and rewind his life. There's very few positive highlights to Jacob's life. For instance, he has 12 sons, and they all get along great, don't they? No. They quarrel all the time. I don't know anything about that, though. He has a daughter, Dina, raped. His wife dies in childbirth. His older brother, for most of his life, wants to kill him. His sons go in and commit mass murder. An entire city. His sons are mass murderers. His favored son, Joseph, is sold into slavery by his other sons. And as far as I know, as far as we know, like he's dead. He was torn apart by wild animals. And we get to the end of his life. Go with me to Genesis 47, verse 9. Genesis 47, verse 9. Or verse 8. Genesis 47, 8. Yaakov, Jacob, is standing before the most powerful man in the known world. And Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob replies, the time, of my, the time of my stay on earth has been 130 years. They've been few and they've been very difficult. Fewer than the years of my ancestors. But what's fascinating, at the end of this man's life, life just wrought with all kinds of horrible things that are the consequence of prior generations and, and their way of doing things. <laughs> He's brought this coat, isn't he, from Joseph, the coat of Joseph, the katonit pasim, the coat of many stripes or many colors. And it's covered in blood. And he's given this coat of his beloved son by his brothers. And he said, here's proof that your beloved son is now dead. What do you think Jacob's mind would have shot back to? Maybe his, his mother bringing him the coat of Esau, the coat of Esau, and saying, put this on, deceive your father. 
Or maybe going even further back, when God clothed Adam and Eve with katonets, with cloaks of animal skin. I would like to think that Jacob at that point goes, wow, we are a mess here. We need a redeemer. We have no hope. In our own free will, our own volition, it seems like we can't fix ourselves. And I like to think that all of these great men of the Bible, these heroes of our faith, go with me to Hebrews 11. Go to Hebrews 11. This is called the Hall of Faith, as it's, as it's called. But we've done a deep, deep study into these men's lives. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, he says, By faith Abraham obeyed after being called to go out to the place that God would give him his possession. And he went out knowing that he was going. And it says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. Now go to verse, uh, verse 20. By faith Isaac and his blessing over Jacob and Esau made reference to events yet to come. Verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was dying blessed each of Joseph's sons, leaning on his walking stick as he bowed in prayer. And it keeps going on and on and on. Notice the writer of Hebrews is not saying these guys were perfect. He's not like, yeah, these guys had it all put together. They were very polished Christians. They, 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 knew, their, uh, they knew their New Testament, right? And they walked around with the Gideon's New Testament in their back pocket and they combed their hair just right. He's not saying that, is he? But he's saying is that their faith overcame their failures. They made a lot of failures in life. But God was still able to use these great men. Why? Because of their faith. So I would like to think that Yaakov's mind is going to that. We need a redeemer. So the conclusion is this. Your perfection is not a prerequisite to God's loving you or using you for his glory. Anybody perfect in the room? No. Okay. Wives, put your hands up. No, okay. Your, your admittance of your brokenness is. You catch that? There's people sitting in this room, and I know because I've heard you say it. I don't think God can use me because I have done this. Or I was a victim of that. False. If God can use these three men with great moral failures in their life, he will use you. Your admittance of your brokenness is a prerequisite to God using you. And that's the starting point, like Anthony said, of your refinement. Your refinement. This is long. I'm going to read it. Like yeast in bread dough, sin exponentially grows and manifests itself from one generation to another. This pattern is only broken. Some of you might be sitting in this room and you're caught up in that pattern. It's only broken at the intersection of of acknowledging that brokenness and storing God's word up in your heart so that you won't sin against him. People come to me and you know, counsel with people sometimes over the years and they'll say, I just can't break this or, or I just don't know how to get over that or whatever. And it's like, I want you to stop and think for a second. Do you know that you're living in a very dysfunctional, manipulative environment right now? That is your normal. Did you know that that's not what God has in store for you the rest of your life? And one of the best things I can tell people, and I've done this with people before, is I want you to tell me right now or write down on a piece of paper where you want to see yourself in five years. 
where you think God is calling you and what, what you want to see yourself doing with that call at five years from now. And, and some of the most basic primal organisms think today or five minutes from now, more calories, right? Procreate, right? That, that's what animals do. Humans made in God's image think how can I be better serving God five years from now with my life and my money and my salary and my children and my house, etc. That's how godly people think. Okay, so now that, you've, now that you've thought about that person five years out that you want to become and you think God is calling you to be, what do you need to change right now? What circumstances or decisions do you need to overcome or make to get you there? Because, yeah, you can sit there and say, well, maybe God will put the right man. Maybe, maybe God will just, the, the job will just fall in my lap. Or maybe someone will just give me the money. And then I can do it. No. You need to make decisions. You need to step forward and do things so that God can use you. But first starts with acknowledging your brokenness and saying, I've got to break a pattern here. I cannot live another day in this pattern of dysfunction. And I will not let the sins of my fathers and my mothers define who I am going forward for the rest of my life. But it, the pattern is only broken at that intersection and storing up and walking in God's word. The choice is ours. The curse of sin and death is broken through the power of Yeshua's blood, but we have to apply it. Are we willing to change our identity to that of being delivered, redeemed, and a new creation? Or are you idolizing your brokenness? Are you idolizing your past generations and their dysfunction and saying, well, that's just who I am, so that's who I will be? False. You have the power through the blood of Messiah to overcome that. But maybe you're scared to take on a new identity because that's all you've ever known. Just repent of that. That's not who you are. So from Esav to this guy Amalek, how many generations? Miss Joanne pointed this out last night. Three generations. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. If you know your Bible, you know that Amalek was one of the few people, if not the only people, God said, I will blot out their name. I will wage war against them until they are gone. And then about 500 years later, we get a descendant of Amalek, who is a descendant of Esau. He was an Agagite's. And what was his name? Haman. He was a mass murderer. He was genocidal. But you see how sin begets sin. Sin has babies. And when we let sin grow generation to generation, and we let these cycles continue, we get, we get Haman. We get the Amalekites who were attacking the women and children at the rear of the camp of Israel. That's what we get. The choice is ours, though. You were created to choose. Your life is just a series of choices, and your life is the sum of all those choices. So choose this day, right? So with that, I'll add that it was through the other line that we get the Redeemer of the world, the Savior, the perfect Lamb who took away the sins of the world. Not because of their perfection, but because of their striving to confess and to walk in God's ways. I hope that I am of that lineage, so to speak, where I am constantly confessing 
I'm constantly repenting and I'm striving to go back to God's word and to raise my children to do the same. I tell people sometimes, try to do better than the generation before you. Just do a little bit better than the generation before you. It's all these little, it's like you guys ever watch yourself riding a bike? It's all these little like little jerky motions that you're correcting. You, you, otherwise your bike would fall over. But it's like all these little things, you're, you're just tiny little motions with the front wheel that's keeping you straight. Your life is like that. It's like all these tiny little decisions that are guiding you. And just do the, the next right thing and you'll be all right. And what is the next right thing? Read God's word, it'll tell you. Read his Torah, read the commandments. With that, your homework is to read Genesis 28 this week. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll do, we have a couple minutes for Q&A. Abba, I thank you for your word. I thank you that our past generations, our past sin, do not define or identify us, but rather we are children of you. We are children of light. We have been born again, and we have a new identity. Father, I pray that there's someone in this room right now that feels they are identified by that, that they will repent of that, that they will throw that off of them and they will renounce those curses, those, those patterns, and they will accept your identity, your kingship in their lives. Father, we are not perfect, but you are. May you use our imperfection to bring you glory. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Say a couple quick questions, guys. I guess we have time. Stacey. Um, the, your last point about, um, uh, yeah, I Can I repeat what you said so everybody can hear it? Um, she said, uh, some would say the difference between Saul and David, a line that continued and eventually had the Redeemer and one that did not, was uh, the repentance. The, um, you, you read some of the Psalms, it's like, um, cleanse me, O God, turn me back to you. you know, even though David did some really horrible, messed up things in his life, there was a, that was the difference, was one spoke of confession and repentance and the other did not, per se. Mm. Focus on Isaac being blind and being poor because he was blind. Yeah. But he's blind, but he notes that he hears Jacob's voice. Mm. You know, your sense of hearing. He um, smells. He smells, and he says, "Oh, it smells like the field." field. Yeah. It smells like the field. And he tastes the food, and he touches his arm. Mm. She's saying it. It's interesting that this chapter mentions all five senses. Um, you can go through and look at all those senses. It's interesting. Any other questions, guys? Thoughts? Comments? Reflections? Everybody know what their homework assignment is? 28. 28, Genesis 28. Come with your questions next week. Come with your insights next week. Um, let's say the blessing over the uh, fruit of the vine and the bread.